Legal marijuana is not something just for the West Coast anymore. Cannabis reform is spreading like wildfire now. Through the election process last week, licensed adult-use marijuana states expanded to include California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada, on top of the existing Washington, Colorado, Oregon, and Alaska. That makes eight states. Additionally, Arkansas, Florida, Montana, and North Dakota joined the other 25 states where medical cannabis is now blessed and regulated and taxed. Arizona is the only state to have had a marijuana initiative on the ballot this year that failed to pass. Uh, luckily, though, while Arizona adult use didn't pass, they have a pre-existing medical marijuana law to benefit Arizona patients. What this all means is that there's going to be a whole lot of cannabis-related rulemaking at the state level in the next year. As we have seen from other states already, though, that is likely going to be an exceptionally messy process. We learned from Dr. Dominic Korva on the show two weeks ago that even though cannabis policy transfer from other states that are already legal is becoming more common, many of the legislators and rulemakers at the state level have zero experience and knowledge of cannabis, and they very likely wish they didn't have to learn about cannabis at all. Every state has made cannabis legalization way more complex than it needs to be, both because they are unfamiliar with cannabis and rulemakers are still afraid of cannabis and think it means violent crime will increase when actually the opposite is true. So, what we are certainly going to see going forward is a patchwork of cannabis laws that are different from state to state. With this much rulemaking going on all at once, you can be assured that there will be some backdoor deal-making between legislators, law enforcement, business people, and others who will seek to exert undue influence on how cannabis policy is formed. And I ask you, who will be watching these rulemakers to ensure that they follow appropriate laws concerning governance and rulemaking for a new law? No one. That's right. There is no one responsible to make sure that bureaucratic regulators are performing their role in a legal way. In fact, in Washington State, for example, the Liquor and Cannabis Board has already been found guilty of meeting secretly with law enforcement and others, but only after citizens caught them doing it. Today's show is about citizen oversight of cannabis law implementation. We are going to consider some of the ways that lobbyists can try to influence policy, how regulators have attempted to make rules in the shadows, and we will discuss some citizen oversight strategies that you can use to help your state regulators stay honest. My guest today is John Novak, founder of 420leaks.com. 420leaks.com is a citizen oversight organization that focuses on cannabis policy in Washington state. Their researchers obtain hard-to-find information through public records requests, as well as daily monitoring of state bills, rulemaking, local ordinances, and news that will have an effect on cannabis patients, providers, and enthusiasts. Welcome to the show, John. Well, thanks, Shango. It's good to be here. I'm very appreciative that you asked me to come on. Looking forward to it. Well, I know we've been trying to put this together for a while. I'm glad we finally you know, got a chance to do it. So, John, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they kind of like to have the idea that their state regulators and legislators um, are having their best interests at heart. And they like to just assume that their government officials are following the rules. But unfortunately, you know, we know that is not always the case. So why don't we start by giving a little bit of a context of why uh, 420 leaks is necessary. From your extensive research, who are some of the other groups interested in influencing cannabis reform at the state level, and why are they trying to influence it? 
Well, that's a good question. There's, uh, of course, we have you know all the local activists who uh, each have their own uh, issues. Uh, a lot of it uh, human rights based, like the you know the home grows and uh, uh, sharing, descheduling, those kinds of things. And of course, we have uh, the business interests who are you know looking out for their bottom line and uh, regulating the industry in uh, you know in proper ways and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then we have. Um, other tiers of interested parties, and and those are more uh, the biggest ones. I would say are uh, the state, um, ag- the agency, lobby firms, and associations. Uh, like for instance, the um, Association of Washington Cities and Counties. They have uh, they all have a, their big lobby group. Uh, then you have. Um, Oh, for instance, uh, well, the Liquor Control Board, uh, they have their own lobby group. Um, Department of Health will have their own lobby group. And uh, so those kinds of groups are, that's really the what you see down there. And then you have um, uh, kind of what I call the hidden uh, persuaders. And they seem to be the ones that are uh, more from Wall Street uh, firms uh, that, are trying to come in uh, and basically uh, run the show. And we don't really see a whole lot of their faces. You see one or two, but for the most part, you don't even see them at all. They, they do a lot of their work behind the scenes. But uh, the state agencies, uh, those, have, those have been the hardest uh, on this, and they seem to have the most uh, impact as far as you know regulating, or uh, I shouldn't say regulating, but... Um, Oh, for instance, like uh, zoning stuff and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the biggest problems that we hear from those guys is that they are scared of federal law, they say. And uh, implementing any of the stuff at the state level, they believe, leaves them open to uh, prosecution. So that's a lot of the big push that they have. And uh, when and uh, the other side of it, too, is they are rely on federal funds. Federal grants, uh, you know, Department of Health gets grants for um, uh, different areas of, of health care. Um, look, Control Board, I'm not sh- sure if they have a federal grant program in place yet. I've been trying to figure that out. But uh, that and the cities and the counties especially are really tied into that. Uh, they receive a lot of federal money. So uh, the question that I'm trying to find out is, uh, is the tax money from 502 uh, enough to offset that I'm, I'm not quite sure yet so that's but those are the biggest groups that are, have been down there so what I'm gathering here from from your answer is that you know every state is going to have lots of players um, that are Absolutely. trying to, that are trying to influence uh, policy and you know some that you that some that you're expecting but then like there's a lot of extra folks with um, you know, uh, priorities that are kind of in the shadows. And, yeah. um, you know, I guess... Substance abuse is another group that you see a lot of down there. Yeah, I guess and probably law enforcement too. Yeah. Um, so so putting myself in the seat of the regulator or the, the legislator who is, you know, the target of the influence and also the target of your research to help keep them honest, um, you know, 
I guess it isn't necessarily that they are trying to be bad actors themselves. It's just the fact that they're being influenced from all these different directions. And, you know, we need watchdogs in each state who are who are making sure that folks are not uh, bending or breaking the rules in their influence. Is that is that a pretty fair way to look at it? Is that, you know, the watchdog is just looking to make sure that people are playing by the rules? Well, very much so. Uh, in our state, though, uh, keeping an eye on the legislators is a little bit harder because they have exempted themselves from most of the public records. So uh, about the only way that I can get public records on them is if they were to make like a public statement about a document that they used in order to come up with a, a policy, something along those lines. And then I could ask them, hey, well, I want to see that document. But other than that, the legislators are, are pretty much uh, off the, the boards, and uh, you can ask, but they're not under any kind of requirement to turn over any records. So um, kind of one of the ways that I get around that, though, is I'll go to the agency side and say, I want to see your communications with you know specific legislators. And uh, sometimes I can get it, sometimes I don't. Uh, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, what... What? How much? Inf how much? Uh, how much uh, information that they were actually willing to put down on paper and send back and forth between each other? Uh, but as far as keeping tabs on the legislators, one of the better ways uh, is going to the uh, Public Disclosure Commission website and following where all the campaign contributions are going. Uh, that's uh, that's a very big part of this as well. Go ahead. So, so the work that you do is obviously very arcane. You know, not a lot of people know how to request these, you know, these documents that you uncover that that can show the corruption or the bending of the rules or or whatever you're looking for. Um, and and so, you know, let's go step by step, you well, know, to a certain degree, on how you decide what records you want. Because you know, you're you're talking about getting these records, but but honestly, to a, a novice like me, I don't I don't even know how you do that. I mean, all I'm thinking about is that Freedom of Information Act. And I don't even know if that's the the appropriate um, you know, rule in this case. Um, for, for folks who are, who are seeking to emulate you down the line, uh, kind of just give us a, 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 th a, you know, a blueprint of how you, you know, get these documents at a state level. Well, let's start with uh, just 502 in general. Uh, when it passed, uh, the state, uh, the liquor, now it's called the Liquor and Cannabis Board, but then it was called the uh, Liquor Control Board. And uh, each agency, when they're when a when the legislature passes uh, a bill and puts uh, rulemaking power into the hands of the state agencies, like uh, was done with 502, uh, then the liquor control board goes uh, through a process of um, gathering as much information from various sources, including the public, uh, normally, and. Uh, and then they will put together a package and, and then implement the rule. And in, the, uh, in our state, we have uh, a, an actual RCW that defines how that information has to be uh, maintained by the agency, and it's called the uh, rulemaking file. So uh, you can request 
that full uh, file, and then they, they're supposed to give you everything that they have on hand that led them to the decision making on that specific uh, you know, on that specific rule. Like for instance, uh, uh, the thousand foot rule uh, for um, how close. Uh, uh, cannabis businesses could be to a, uh, a school or a park or something like that. Well, there was a, an actual rulemaking process where they had to take input and all that kind of stuff and, and document it and keep it on file. So you can ask for that. And, and, and that's that's a simple step to take with the agencies is just asking for their rulemaking file. Um, now, and in the case of the 502 rulemaking file, uh, we got a lot of information from it originally, and uh, but we started seeing that there was a lot of information that was being left out, uh, <laughs> specific meetings uh, that uh, with law enforcement, that kind of stuff. So we kept digging further and asking further, and finally we we started getting some of that information. Uh, so it's. You have to. Uh, you, you don't always know what you're going to get, of course, when you ask for it. But you have to kind of get a general idea of what you're looking for, uh, at least to you know give a general idea. So when you uh, when you say ask for, what does that actually mean? I mean, is that as simple as sending an email to a, somebody and asking for it? I'm assuming that there's yeah. like some yes, application actually. you have to fill out or something, isn't there? Uh, well, there's there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can do it with a, a handwritten letter uh, and ask for, you know, specific documents and and for since we're on uh, talking about the liquor con- uh, and cannabis board, uh, each agency has their own public records division. And they have their own rules set around it. And there's uh, um, you know, like a, a small fee uh, if they have to uh, scan over uh, like hard copy um, documents in, into electronic version. There might be a charge there or printing and, and scanning. So minimum types of charges. But basically what it is, you go to the Liquor Control Board and on their page you look for public records. Uh, on the on the side panel, and you go there, and then they actually give you an email address. I believe it's public records at lcb.wa.gov, and uh, you just ask, basically ask for what you want. The way I do it is I start off, uh, and I just say public records request in the subject line of the email, and then I'll say in the in the uh, in the main body of the message like this is a public records request for the. Um, Thousand foot rulemaking file. Uh, I would like these in electronic format if possible. And basically, I sign my name, my uh, give them my phone number, and send it off. So it can be as simple as that, or it can be as as uh, more complicated if you're looking, say, for you know specific uh, tax disbursements to specific agencies. Uh, you, you know, so it's you can go general, you can go very specific. It just all really depends on on what you're looking for. Wow, that's really interesting. I'm actually surprised at <clears throat> how easy it actually sounds like like it is. I mean, that's a that's a that's a request that sounds like just how, how anybody else anybody could do it. And, yes. and and also it sounds like there's a certain amount of discretion on the receiver of the email too, because you're asking for whatever you're asking for, and that can be you know redefined by the person on the receiving side about you know how much uh, how much scope of of, of work they're going to do to to answer. Your your request. So, well, they'll so- actually, usually they will, 
So, for instance, let's say I hit the send button, I sent that request in. Then uh, the agency has uh, five business days from there to respond back to me to let me know, okay, we got it. Uh, they, if they are not completely sure of what you're asking, they'll, they may ask you to clarify it. Uh, they might like restate it in a way they think that you're asking. Uh, so then you have to follow up and make sure, yeah, that sounds good. Or if, if it is what it, you asked for and they, you feel that they have it right in their head what you want, then you just you know, let them go. Um, but uh, the, one of the things that uh, you, you got to keep on top and at least uh, respond back and make sure that you're actually getting or they're telling what they're telling you is what you want. Uh, and then uh, they have to give you a specific time period on uh, uh, approximately how long they believe it'll take for them to do it. Uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's a little bit of work, but you know, in the in the long run, for each individual one, it really doesn't take a whole lot of time. But it's again keeping uh, tabs on their responses and making sure you respond back uh, the right way. Right on, cool. We're going to take our first short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You have so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into something as deeply as you'd like. You know there is more that you could do to reach out to new customers and to encourage loyalty in the customers you already have, but you certainly don't have the time and you're not ready to hire someone full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. Blunt Branding principles Kirsten Nelson and Anthony Garcia are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty. But they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility. But that is pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and Anthony will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. No doubt, this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on three projects now for various clients, and every single time they have done more than they have promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal, instead of just making me a pretty logo. Similarly, every friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, and that just does not happen every day. So grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting edge technology in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash Blunt Branding to find out more. You can also click the link in our weekly newsletter. Blunt branding, marketing that makes you money. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is John Novak of 420leaks.com. So, John, before the break, we were talking about, you know, how to get the uh, the files targeted to know what you're looking for and then how to go ahead and put in a request for them. And, you know, it actually was surprisingly easy uh, compared to what I thought it was going to look like. And, you know, I know that one of the things that you have found is very often you will be um, asked 
asking for particular documents. And, and they should exist because, you know, most states have some version of the Open Meetings Act where, where when, when they meet to talk about future regulations and laws, that they have to document that. But you found that, at least in Washington, um, this wasn't happening. And, and this is something that people should be looking for to potentially happen at every state. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that so people know what to look for? Sure. Um, one of the things that uh, we found early on was that uh, the Liquor and Cannabis Board were having secret meetings with law enforcement. And they began publishing um, their calendar of, of events. And we were seeing that they were having these public meetings in, in the big cities like Spokane, Seattle, and uh, Yakima. But then they were also listing that they were having meetings with uh, these different groups during the day. And uh, according to our state law, if uh, two or more of the board members meet together, it becomes an actual official meeting. Uh, the public needs to be notified and their input needs to be considered. And they were not doing that. So... Uh, Going through the, the rulemaking file again, seeing they're asking for their calendar of events, and then you can kind of get an idea, okay, well, what's being publicized openly and what's not. And so that's kind of how we started catching them on that. So, so you know, the, the, to say they're having secret meetings, I just want to I want to drill down that on a, that a little bit because you know that could be hyperbole. You know, secret seems to suggest some kind of ill will. You know, do you think that these were intentionally being hidden, or did they just not make you know no no one put it in the file? You know, was it does it seem like an accidental oversight, or does it feel like they were intentionally trying to keep this out of the file? Well, that's another great part of one of the things you can ask for is the communications between uh, people. Uh, and so we asked for all communications as well on, on, the, on this specific thing. And we started seeing that um, the meetings were being set up by the Liquor Control Board staff at the request of law enforcement. And a lot of the uh, concern was the law enforcement wanted to have the full attention of the liquor control board with the, without having uh, to talk around um, the general public. They just wanted their group, their message. And uh, that's, you know, that's all well and good if you're having a meeting with, a, a, you know, an individual um, board member. But when you put the board together, uh, that, and then you're getting into a whole different, different level of, uh, of, public uh, integrity there and so that was we could see in the communications that that's what they were trying to do they did they did not want the public to be uh, participating to counter any message that they were trying to get across it must be really odd to read those those emails that because you know when you write an email you kind of you're you're talking to other person another person personally and so you're speaking to them in like regular language but they are going into you know a bureaucratic file of documentation you probably see some things in those emails which which are you know both odd but also kind of telling like you can start to pull out people's intent if you if you're reading them in their you know if you read all the messages. Right. Yeah, you very much can. Uh, and the, 
for whatever reason, they, they continue to uh, write their emails back and forth. And, and, uh, and well, some of the things that uh, we've caught some of them saying uh, basically just, you know, they, they don't. For the most part, these agencies don't have a lot of uh, good things to say about the uh, <laughs> cannabis community. I'll put it that way. So, so how about like phone calls? Like, like you know, does everything happen via email so that there's a, an official paper trail, or or how would they document phone calls that would take uh, place, like between a you know a lobbyist and uh, and, and a regulator? <sighs> lobbyist and, and that's a whole. Uh, different side of public records because they go under um, uh, the Public Disclosure Commission. And uh, I spent about two years studying up on politics and money and all that kind of stuff before I uh, got involved with actual political action committee stuff because I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we followed the rules and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I don't really have complete answers for you on lobby requirements and bills yet, but um, one of the things that I was somewhat disappointed in finding out was that uh, when lobbyists write or present bills, there really is no uh, requirement that uh, that be disclosed to anyone. Uh, the only thing that is must be disclosed on the lobby side is the if money is being spent one way or the other. Uh, for instance, if uh, the lobbyist were to go and um, you know, take them out to dinner or uh, give them a, you know some kind of gift or something along those lines, those kinds of things have to be reported. Uh, travel expenses and all that kind of stuff. So, but. That was really the only way that I found that you can uh, see what lobbyists are behind what bills is one go down to the public hearings uh, and see who's you know coming on board with them, or two look and see what lobby firms are contributing to what candidates, and and to which um, the other side of lobbying too. It's not just candidates that they give uh, these. Uh, contributions to. They also go to uh, committee caucuses, uh, party committees, uh, and in those groups, there's no limit on what you can give to those. There's a limit on what you can give to a candidate. But uh, so, for instance, um, uh, a business lobby firm uh, had about $50,000, and I'd say probably. Oh, you know, like 20,000 of it may have gone out to about 20 different candidates at about $1,000 each. And then you'll see big chunks of money being pushed to these uh, caucus or party committees where then they, the parties, then distribute from there. But uh, the caucus committees uh, are more issue driven, uh, apparently. And so uh, there's a lot of wheels that need to be greased by lobby money in order to get bills passed. And that has been both a very eye-opening and very revealing uh, part of this whole study. 
you know, John, but it's, it's the it, biggest part. It's the biggest puzzle, though, because there's a lot more pieces that you got to put together. Joe, I think a puzzle is actually a really good example because as I as, as I sit here and listen to you, you know, when you were telling me about the master file that's kept about the deliberations before you know a regulation is made, I was thinking to myself, wow, it's great that they keep all that stuff at one place. It's very transparent. You know, I mean, yeah, we need to watchdog them to make sure that everything goes in the file but that's really great we can watch you know we can watch how our regulations are made well then and then you know your your next set of of information was all like oh yeah we can't track this we can't track that there's a lot of money you know to find out who the lobbyists are working on something you need to go and and see who's in the room i mean and then it's suddenly that like just this tore up my my conception that um that that this was transparent. Now it suddenly feels very not transparent. And and I can imagine you having to read all of this, you know, I, I would think that most of it is pretty mundane, you know, very. emails and communications. And then all of a sudden you find, you know, a, a, a somebody saying something that refers to something that you haven't seen anywhere. And then things start to unravel, but you have to like dig forever just to find that. This This doesn't sound very transparent anymore. No. Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, th- like the biggest details, of course, is finding, you know, which lobbyist wrote this bill, which went to this senator, to this committee. You know, so that's that's the real the legwork that, don't, you know, takes a lot more than just uh, sending public requests back and forth. You know, it does take a lot of work and it, it is it can be very time consuming and. Uh, it's like a whole, a whole other wing of activism that really needs its own staff. And then you have again back to the agency public records. That's almost again its own staff. So uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's a lot of work. But um, and and any given year too, we also have uh, these state agencies will go crying to the legislators saying that oh we're, this is costing us way too much uh, way too many man hours to find all these records and uh, we're, we we so you know it's it's a constant tug of war yeah, sounds like it's the the price of a democracy though when you're doing yes. this research um, you just must be elated when you find uh, a thread to pull on though you know if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a couple days trolling or not troll I don't think that's the right word but anyway digging through um, a big pile of uh, of documents and then you find one thing you're like oh here's something that you know could give me cause to make a new records were request because now you right. can get more specific or somebody referring to an idea or a meeting that is not in the rest of the file that must be very gratifying at that point because you're like oh here's something to work with well yeah it takes some a little bit of training in your mind to 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 listen a little harder for key keywords uh well here's a here's an example uh there uh was a Study released by uh, Department of Health, and I think in collaboration with uh, a couple of other agencies, Liquor Control Board and stuff, and they wanted to look at uh, how uh, 502 and all of this was impacting our youth. So they came up with a, uh, a study that and they went out to um, different uh, high schools to see, you know, where 
uh, how it was affecting the kids. And some of the conclusions they came up with uh, were uh, <laughs> left me scratching my head. So, uh, but just by the sheer fact that they did a study and sent people out makes you realize, aha, there's a document there. There's a, there's a list of questions somewhere uh, that they were asking people. So uh, when I saw the, uh, the file of, it was a, basically what, what the, the information that I saw that led me to this was a um, PowerPoint presentation put on by the Department of Health that they were going to, they were presenting to legislators. So I was reading down through all the slides, and I kept coming across these, uh, you know, different study points, and a couple of them uh, really had me scratching my head. So I was like, okay, I I need to see the study and where all this information was coming from, because one of the things they were claiming was that uh, uh, the minorities were having a harder problem with it in the schools than the, the white folks. And I'm like, this is sounding a little. Uh, I don't want to say racist, but, you know, <laughs> all the research that I've seen in the past showed that uh, all blacks and whites uh, used cannabis at a pretty even rate. So why they were saying that this uh, black kids in school are having a harder time with it, and I, you know, I want to know more. So I asked for the actual uh, study, and that I just got that a couple of days ago. I haven't had a chance to go through and look at it, but... Despite, you know, seeing on there they had a, done a study that I knew then, okay, I can ask for that study. Yeah, right on. I follow that. It, it makes for some uh, pretty detailed reading, I'm sure. So, uh, so hey, we're going to take well, our... Yeah, it's, it's, you can, uh, it's, it's a good uh, way to put yourself to sleep. <laughs> right on. Hey, it's time to take our uh, second break. So uh, we'll be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. Look inside this crystal ball with me for a moment. I'm looking just a couple months into the future. I'm seeing the future of the Shaping Fire podcast. The show sure has grown. I've continued to interview fascinating cannabis industry luminaries, and our audience has gotten huge. It has doubled and redoubled and doubled again. There are high fives all around the Shaping Fire world headquarters. New listeners are subscribing every day and begin to listen to the back catalog of all the great interviews there. And that is where the Shaping Fire audience learns about your company. You were incredibly smart today to become an early adopter and place a commercial in Shaping Fire's early episodes. If you become an advertiser on the Shaping Fire podcast now, today, you are going to pay a fraction of the cost we'll be asking in just two months. And yet... All the audience that listens to our back catalog of interviews will hear about your company again and again. It's a great deal for you. Pay a small amount now because the show is so new, but take advantage of the huge listening audience we will have forever. This crystal ball is not a smoke dream. Do yourself a solid and contact us today for rates on podcast and newsletter advertising. Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out more. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is John Novak of 420leaks.com. 
So, John, you know, during the show today, you have described, you know, a lot of detail-oriented work, a lot of, you know, kind of pushing against the bureaucracy, um, but, you know, also with important wins of, of being able to keep regulators honest and essentially, def you know, defending the citizenry of the state. And the goal, you know, of course, of the show is to inspire people in other states that are, you know, just coming online with cannabis and, and starting to normalize and moving towards Towards some kind of legalization to inspire folks to, to you know to watch their their own state regulators. So you know I got to ask you you know what are some of the challenges personally to doing this kind of work? Uh, the personal challenges, uh, the hardest one is just keeping yourself motivated to go through all this boring stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and that especially when you get in you know gigabyte after gigabyte of information and that's that's one of the, the hardest things to do trying to get other people to help out uh, that that's been a struggle uh, because you know it, it's not the funnest work, work <laughs> to do and uh, the rewards you, you know you may have to go weeks if not months before you see any kind of results so it, it that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. But, you know, obviously you're doing it and you're passionate about it. And so, you know, you've got to know that it's important. I mean, somebody's got to watch the government. Well, you know, why, why for you do you feel that it's important that, that people like you stand up and watch the government to make sure that they are, they are doing things by rule of law? Well, I actually started uh, doing... Uh, I would say my skills on this came actually from doing um, a due diligence on stocks uh, you know, for uh, the stock market. And it takes a lot of you know, going through and reading all the, the company documents and, and figuring out you know, where uh, money's coming in, where it's going out, if they actually have a product and all that kind of stuff. So it just takes a lot of going through a lot of boring, boring information, but it's it is super important to do if you take investing seriously. So that was kind of the training that I had going into this. So, and it really kind of started out for me, of course, I wanted to see where all the laws were going uh, since I am a patient myself. But uh, I also wanted to see how, um, what kind of environment I would be getting myself into if I decided to enter into the industry. And that was really the biggest push for me uh, of why I wanted to do all this. Because if I, you know, first off, we got, you know, let's, let's be honest here. This is still uh, against federal law. So uh, there's a, that's in and of itself means you got to, so many different areas of law that you got to make sure your butt's covered on. You got to follow not only state law, you got to follow what the feds are doing, uh, kind of get an idea of what other states are doing. So um, that attention to detail and, and due diligence is really what gave me my push to do it. Uh, the benefits of doing it, though, uh, are, are absolutely wonderful because instead of relying on, let's say, what the press is telling you what's going on, or what any individual uh, legislator or even any individual activist 
might be telling you what's going on. When you have the actual documents in front of you, you see what's being said, you see what's going on, you know, you, you just, you have a much better understanding of the entire situation because you're taking it from the horse's mouth instead of, you know, different spins on it. And, and that, I think, is one of the most valuable parts. And, of course, the it, to a certain degree, uh, I wish it was more, uh, keeping uh, politicians and these state agencies honest. And uh, the biggest threat that if we don't uh, do this is that they'll just think that nobody's watching and they can get away with whatever they want. They don't then they'll take uh, they won't take the full steps to completely document what they're doing uh, and to the worst extremes of uh, corruption that we've, you know, you hear about in the news. And uh, unfortunately, um, when I talk to um, other activists and even some legislators and people in this, they say, uh, as a whole, our country is, uh, and local government is becoming more corrupt than, uh, than more honest these days. So that is... You know, in a lot of ways, I, I think that uh, this activism really has more to do with about open government than it does about cannabis. You know, this might be kind of a bittersweet question, but, you know, I know you've dedicated, well, at least your life right now to this because this is your your main thing. But, how, you know, how do you know when you're succeeding? Because this seems like you are, you know, you're working on this ocean trove of information. You know, how do you how do you know when you're winning? Well, the easiest way to know that when you're winning is, of course, you get attention from the press or uh, or legislators, and they'll come up and say, "Hey, we want to change. You know what you what you're seeing there. We want to change." That's a, that's an immediate type of win, and uh, and and that can be very gratifying. Uh, unfortunately, though, most of the wins come in ways that you you can kind of see your information is influencing the public debate even though your name is not specifically mentioned and i see that a lot in the uh let's i won't bring up any um big names but uh some of the bigger newspapers in this in the area uh absolutely refuse to have to publish my name 420 leaks or anything to do with it uh, because they are interested in a multi-billion dollar industry uh continuing which I, I'm all for too, but let's you know let's do it honestly here, guys. But uh, so I, I do. You see a lot of that though when a, a bigger story will come out, and then you'll and then you'll kind of start hearing about you know the debate. Let's say for instance, on the uh, there was a massive leak where uh, the liquor control board accidentally turned over uh, private information on applicants. Well, some of the 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 cannabis uh, reporters uh, jumped on that immediately, uh, but then at the higher level of you know of uh, you know let's say like through Seattle Times the um, you know or the, or the bigger the Spokane Chronicle or whatever the bigger newspapers they uh, didn't cover that until um, the Liquor Control Board uh, actually started sending out letters to people. Then the big news got in, but still, um, for the most part, we weren't, we didn't get a lot of credit for that leak. But 
then we started seeing a bigger um, issue being talked about about, pra- about patient privacy. And so sometimes you don't get the credit, but you can see that uh, you, your point was made and the debate is beginning. And then so you have to kind of, you know, a lot of it is you don't you don't get a lot of credit for some of this stuff, but the debate moves forward, and that's really the end. That should be the the bottom line. If, if the debate is moving forward, you're winning. Right on. That makes a lot of sense. So let's let's uh, finish up with this last question, John. So you know if if. You know, my goal with this show is that I wanted to be able to reach out to our listeners across the country and maybe have them hear your story about what you're doing in Washington and inspire them to do that in their own state. Because, you know, if it takes your full time to do Washington, you know, we need at least 49 other people across the country to be doing this so that each state can be covered. So, so, so. Some, somebody out there is is listening and they're listening to the work that you're doing and it sounds you know interesting and engaging to them and they're thinking about doing this in their own state. What would you say to them to help inspire them to move forward? Uh, you're going to find this is both the hardest and most, but at the same time, most rewarding thing that you'll do. You're you will you're going to find a lot of. A lot of garbage in there uh, that just you know has no real revel, uh, real no meaning to exactly what it is you're looking for. But you have to keep going. Uh, one of the things that I, that drives me is uh, the human rights angle that every person out there should have the right to plant a seed and, and take care of themselves. So. Uh, when you have a focus like that, uh, it kind of narrows down to a degree uh, what specifically you're going for, so and it helps. So, uh, and the other thing it does is it, it when you're sending out those requests, it puts those uh, agencies on notice that you're watching them. And for the most, sometimes you know they're so big, they have so much money and influence, they don't really care, but. When uh, when you take that information and then make it public, and then suddenly they take it a little a little more seriously, and uh, that's that's what I begin to find that um, you get not not only do you get the information that you're looking for uh, in a in a more complete picture, but you also begin to develop um, a reputation, especially with. Uh, legislators that while they may not like what you're doing, they know why you're doing it. And for the most part, they, they really don't have uh, much to say to the negative side on that. And uh, being able to inform your fellow activists of exactly what's going on with these laws. And so it, it helps, um, it helps your group to really define where the issues you need to focus are. Uh, a lot of us get caught up in a lot of the extraneous stuff, uh, you know, and uh, the red hats versus the blue hats, or should we have like six plants versus eight plants or four? And, and a lot of times you, you get groups that kind of split apart and uh, get trapped into a lot of that stuff. Whereas if you 
you focus on specific issues and you can see where the enemy or the, the obstacle is, uh, it, it becomes easier when you go in with a handful of documents, especially when they're on, in their own words. And you can say, this is why it needs to be fixed. And here, and, and actually that's another point of the thing is uh, you can find a lot of stuff that's wrong. And they do want to hear some of that. But really what they're looking for is, okay, how do we make it right? But you cannot get to that step of how do I make it right until you have all the information in front of you. And that's the biggest part of, of why I think this is most important. John, thank you for all your hard work and thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. John Novak is founder of 420 Leaks. You can find out more info at 420leaks.com. You can email John directly at 420leaks at gmail.com. And you can also call the Activist Leak Line at 206-915-3450. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.